Hi everyone, I'm Aaron Noonan. Welcome again to the V8 Sleuth Podcast, powered by Doric, suppliers of window and door hardware to homes and apartments across Australia, New Zealand and Asia. I'm really excited, actually, about our guest this week. He's a former Suzuki Vitara owner, he's one of the few people to have won a race around our parliament houses, and he's the current custodian behind the wheel of Mustang Sally. Our guest this week is Stephen Johnson. Now, there's a few highlights from our chat ahead to listen out for. He tells us how a road car crash got him his start in racing. He reveals just how tight things were at Dick Johnson Racing at the start of 2013. And he talks to about a Holden V8 supercar seat that he turned down that would have sent him down a very different pathway. Once again, another big thank you to our V8 Sleuth Facebook followers for your couch racer questions. They turned up some pretty cool stories, I have to tell you. So, here we go. Buckle up, it's time to start. Stephen Johnson on the V8 Sleuth Podcast, powered by Doric. Stephen Johnson, you are on the Sleuth Podcast. Good to catch up with you. Um, it's hard to know where to start. Any idea where we should start? Well, I'd say the beginning, but okay, right, okay. it's sort of probably pretty obvious there, but... I don't know if the beginning's that exciting, to be well, honest. Well, it might be. It could lead to something that's really exciting. Anyway, we love to delve on V8 Sleuth back behind the scenes and some of the backstories and some of the things that other people might gloss over. So I think you've told a story before about how you came to end up in your first racing car through a road car crash. But for those who don't know it, how did you get your first race car? Because let's face it, it didn't start in the best of circumstances on the road, but it turned out okay. It did turn out okay. It was one of those. I guess I was I was doing an apprenticeship at Q Ford at Springwood at the time, and I think going from racing go karts all that time, obviously being at school, which was a massive part. Nope. And were you, and dad would, were you any good at school? I just passed, which was all I needed to do, <laughs> <laughs> but. Um, that was a really big part of, you know, my whole life really. And because if, if that didn't happen and if I didn't do well at school, then I wouldn't have been able to go racing. And that was, that was mum and dad straight up. You don't do this. You don't pass. You don't go racing. And pretty much what I'm doing with my young fella now. So, um, anyway, so I was an apprenticeship at Q Ford. I remember it was the very first IndyCar Grand Prix on the Gold Coast weekend. 1991. Yes. Yep. And I'd finished work on the Friday. Uh, you know, I had a really nice toolbox and, and luckily with, with through the racing, Dad had a lot of contacts and we had a, had a beautiful snap-on toolbox, which I didn't take home, luckily, uh, or unluckily, because that extra five minutes probably could have shaped my career differently mm. you know but jumped in the car heading ha- ha- back hang on what sort of car <laughs> yes it was a suzuki vitara oh steve <laughs> it was a it, with your snap-on toolbox in no, your suzuki no, no, vitara no, i didn't put the snap-on Luckily, toolbox in the but back. you would have any other day yes absolutely so um yeah long story there dad's good friend neville crichton had a suzuki dealership yeah, yeah he was the importer yeah he was and you know that's how we come to get that car i had all visions of going over to fraser island with my mates and in this little car and having a good time but it lasted three days and uh it was i got it on the wednesday night actually on the wednesday and on the friday night on the way home from so that's actually only two days really <laughs> i was driving down the, the service road near my house um from Q Ford, a lady came out of a driveway. Um, she had just 
in, in the middle of a divorce or whatever it was, but whatever it was, she wasn't concentrating on, on driving and she just pulled straight out and literally T-boned me on the passenger side. And being the small little two-door narrow wheelbase Suzuki Vitara, yes, I spun around and it tipped over and rolled over and I rolled over three times and rode it off. And all I remember, it landed on its wheels, luckily, with the roof on my head and damaged shoulder and all sorts of stuff. Um, all I remember was looking at the Speedo and I can still see it. It had 151 kilometres on the Speedo and it was halfway between three and four 30 and 40 metres. So um, I knew at that point, oh, I thought I was going to you know, be in a lot of trouble. But as it worked out, and long way around to getting to it, but the, the choice was the payout from the insurance, was it not that that could be used to get you another road car or it could be used for something way more fun? Yeah. it it Basically, it was a choice. We can get another Vitara for the same money. We got paid out in full. Or... Dad said, as he said, we can buy you a, just a little bush basher, so to speak, and something that's not nice, that will just that's safe and that will get you around, but it's not a nice brand new shiny car, which I did get for passing school. That was another good thing about that. And uh, I, he said, I'll give you a week to think about it. So he said, we can buy you a little bush basher for, I think it was 20 grand, I think the car cost, um, for three or four grand. And we can spend sixteen or 17000 on a race car. I'll give you a week to think about it. And I said, you don't need a week. I don't need a week. That. <laughs> Let's get that bush basher right now. And um, that's how we ended up buying our first little race car, little Datsun 1600 sports sedan. Which had a Mazda rotary engine in it from memory. It did. Which you learnt your trade in up at Lakeside in Queensland and yep. punting around in sports sedans. And you and I have discussed this car in the past because you've kind of lost tabs on that car, correct? Yeah, I have. I have. It's, uh, you know, I know, you know, you and I have been speaking for years about it. And, and at one point, we, I thought I knew where it was. And um, it, I think it's been changed a little bit from when I had it. Actually, going back when we had it, it had a 12A peripheral port rotary in it. it. Was actually funny because we got a few spare parts. And Dad, obviously knowing Alan Moffat, we actually bought one of Alan's old 12A peripheral ports that was in his Peter Stuyvesant RX-7. Back in the Group C days. Yes, which was actually... Which your dad used to hate. <laughs> yeah, he did. They were, they were the, the nemesis for him. The rice burners. Car. Rice burners. Um, so we ended up having uh, a really cool uh, spare engine with that car. Um, I thought, oh, we're going to put Alan's engine in and we're going to drop five seconds a lap, but... Yeah, it didn't sort of happen that way. <laughs> but, um, yeah, yeah, so lost contact with it after quite a while and, um, yeah, I would love to sort of know where it's at. We've had a post somewhere in our recent past on our social media. Someone said that they think it's in Yas. So you might want to zero in right. on Yas and see if there's anyone with a winged 1600 Datsun sports sedan floating yeah, around. Yeah, so. it it's sort of gone that way because, I, I mean, the last time I – sort of knew thought i knew where it was was in lismore sort of northern new south wales so it's uh it's it's gone through a few different hands but yeah just to have that little car back and even put it back to sort of half how it was if if it has been changed a lot would be very cool to have as my first race car 
if you know where Stephen Johnson's first race car is, please send us an email via the V8 Sleuth website or get in touch via social media. Now, you talked about Alan Moffat there. I want to, we jump around a fair bit on the V8 Sleuth podcast. There's lots to try to cram into one episode. But am I right in remembering that there were some stories that you could have raced the Alan Moffat Synovus Falcon and you were trying to get some budget to, to make that happen? Because he, he built that car, ran it once a year at Bathurst, and DJR actually helped with stepping it up to a fuel-injected engine. So was that all a bit of just media hoo-ha at the time or was it something that was genuine and it just didn't happen? I think I think it's probably a bit of both. I don't think it was genuine and it was about to happen. I think there was... You know, a rough plan, maybe. rough plan, a bit of a talk about it. And, and obviously then I think the media heard a little bit about the talk that... You know, I think it might have even been Dad and Alan. I'm not sure having having that. And but apart from that, um, you know, it sort of never got to the stage where it was all right. What date? When can we get him in the car? Or what's what's happening? Yeah, yeah. So it was a bit of a, a chat, and that was about yeah, it. Yeah, but it was more than just just a, a nothing. It was definitely talk about it, but. As you know, there's a lot of just talking yeah. motor sport. <laughs> just a little bit, just a little bit. We've trawled right back through your career because it's been much longer than I think a lot of people would probably stop and realise. Because you spent so much time with the family team, with Dick Johnson Racing, um, but you did go and do other stuff along the way in other touring cars and open wheelers and some Trans Am. And, um, so you've done a little bit of GT here and there. But one of the things we actually stopped and remembered while we were sitting down thinking about your career is you had a really bad, nasty shunt that I don't think many people probably understand when you did some Trans Am racing in New Zealand and you busted yourself up pretty badly. Yeah, I did. It was... Like it was, was nasty. This is what, 97? 96, 97 Summer season, series, I think New it was. Zealand, yeah. yeah, It was, yeah, it was definitely the worst crash that I've ever had, even... You know, in anything, whether it be road and where or was, which, which track? Uh, we were at uh, Manfield in New Zealand, South Island. I'm pretty sure Manfield. Oh, no, Manfield. Well, it's north, north or south. It's 50-50. Yeah, yeah, I know exactly. But it, it really cool little track. We'd won, you know, we'd had a massive year. Uh, 12 out of 15 races we'd won. We'd really just, oh, I think, um, almost had that hand on the cup. And uh, it was we'd qualified on pole for Manfield, and we was the year that Paul Morris was in there. So it was it was good. It was good to have Paul. It was sort of that was my second year there. Um, and, and it was a, a Mustang, a Camaro. It was a Camaro. Camaro. And who were you driving for? I was driving for Bruce Jenner then, and quite a well. Not the Bruce Jenner that everyone probably thinks. Not. Not Caitlin. Caitlin? No, no, not Caitlin. <laughs> no, uh, uh, it was American guy, Bruce Jenner, that was more uh, based in New Zealand. That car came out here to Australia and I raced it uh, a few times. I raced it at the Gold Coast out yep. here. It was a purple I remember. Camaro. Yeah. Yep. And then that turned into a the NZ Camaro, so red and, red and white NZ-sponsored Camaro over in New Zealand for that championship. We'd had a really good tussle. Like it was a, it was a year long tough tussle with Ashley Stitch, the late Ashley Stitchbury, uh, where you know we both ended up hard into the fence from one another. It was one of those rivalries that it it uh, it was tit for tat the whole way, and it was quite cool. And um, yeah, it, it was the morning of the race meeting. We'd qualified on pole the day before, and I was actually just out there betting in some brake pads. So once we got to the point where, and and to understand how you do that with that particular 
type of pad was you'd go out, go, you'd go quite slow. You'd have to bring the heat up really slowly into the brake pad. Then when it was really, really hot, you'd feel the pad starting to fade. So you'd put your foot on the brake and it wouldn't want to stop. So then you know, right, it's time to cool them down. So I cooled them down. Once you cool them down after just cruising around for a couple of laps, then you go hard for two or three laps like you're racing. Um, and then generally that's pretty much bang on the, the brake pads are ready to use. So I'd already done the heating up process and got them really hot, cooled them right down. And then I went for my three quick laps. Uh, second lap into the three laps, I came through, it was a, through a fast right, left, around another right and into a really tightly banked hairpin left. And you're approaching it, it's pretty quick, like you're in third gear. I think we were doing around sort of 170-odd, 175, and 180 even. And then I've jumped on the brakes to go from third gear down into first gear because it's quite a tight corner. Uh, but there was nothing there, so the pedal went to the floor. I'd left the track at the hairpin, which was banked, as I said. So, so it became a ramp. Yeah, literally. Yeah. It was like – it's like – driving off you know a nascar oval like literally don't jukes hazard you don't hit anything and i, I literally jumped the sand trap uh, and i landed at the bottom of a basically a six foot high earth bank tire wall so a tire wall was filled by earth behind because another 50 meters on was actually the last corner coming onto the straight so there's this Ooh. bank uh to stop you from obviously doing that and it stopped me and it stopped me pretty damn quick and um i'd hit my head on the steering wheel like that's how far the belts had stretched so i was in there tight obviously but uh pre hands device and stuff as well so broke both my collarbones the belts broke both my collarbones i uh, i hit my knee on the, the trans am had a different style of dashboard it was just a flat rectangular dashboard that was part of the bar work i'd hit my knee on one of the bars broke my knee in six spots and yeah i was Broke my nose, so I was pretty pretty banged up. Mm. Uh, is that your worst your worst shunt in yeah, your career? Yeah, hundred percent. It's probably was... one that people don't remember because it was in NZ. It wasn't on television. Yeah, wasn't... It wasn't in a supercar. No, well, it was on television over in New Zealand. But well, we, I don't think we got the video here. I don't here. think we have got the video here. But we might have to go and find that. Yeah. All right, hang on. Let me start this list. Yes. We want to find your sixteen hundred. <laughs> we want to find your video of your Camaro shunt. Uh, I'm thinking we'll find a few more oh, things in this list. Yeah, exactly. So it was massive. I actually got out of the car. They're like a NASCAR. They haven't got a door, so you've got to get out the window. I actually got out. I remember turning the thing off because I was paranoid the thing was going to catch on fire. I had no front. The, the front up to the windscreen was gone. And uh, I remember trying to walk and no good. Yeah, no, 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 no good no. with a busted leg. It doesn't work. And I fell straight over. So um, over there, I was actually looked after really well uh, in the – in the medical center and one of the main guys was actually paul morris that was in there with me yeah right so uh needless to say after i'd been to the hospital and paul had gone to the hospital with me and uh we'd seen the specialists and all that sort of thing i had a dead straight leg cast on for 10 weeks Mm. uh so i got back to the track actually that afternoon or the maybe the next morning why well you don't particularly want to stay in a hospital that's in the middle of nowhere over there so true but you don't have a race car to drive no, and you can't no. drive so i did get back there um and i think probably that night or the night after i was actually out on the town with paul and craig baird so it <laughs> well, wasn't all bad that says a lot let us stray <laughs> it wasn't all bad but, <laughs> but yeah that that was the end of my season that year i less i missed those three races at 
at Manfield. And then the last three races was that were at um, Pukekohe. I missed those three races. Uh, Paul Morris won the championship. I finished second by two points. So it was... Uh, funnily enough, though, the old man came over to race that car. They, they cut the front off it because they're like a NASCAR. They're just bar work, mm. so you can just cut the front off, rejig it. Go again. Go again. They rebuilt that car that week, and Dad raced that at, uh, at Pukekohe for me uh, the next weekend to finish the championship. DJ and a Camaro. Yeah. That doesn't happen How's very that? often, just quietly. Hey, I want to talk about your your relationship with your dad. Clearly, you're very close. You've always been very close. I know you've spoken before about how you you'd consider him to be your, your best mate. For all of the love, and you've had a great relationship, and fathers and sons over the – I'm sure there's a lot of our listeners who would love to have such tight, close family relationships. Has there been any – frosty moments along the way or has it been as what we would all appear from the outside been a pretty good run or there been the odd little niggly things that dads and sons have along the way but what's what's your relationship with your dad been like over yeah. the years but, but plus the fact that he's not just your dad yeah he's kind of he's a motor racing icon in the country and you've kind of had to share him with the public yeah it's it's been um it, to be honest it has been what it seems it's been awesome and you know, I can't. I mean, I, I've got friends that, you know, have family, have had family issues, and fam. Obviously, a lot of families have disagreements, and that they haven't spoken to their dad or mum or brothers for years. Um, we've never had. I, I can't remember even a week not speaking to my old man, and it's funny that I think. <sighs> It's I don't, I don't know. It's it's one of those things that I, I just can't bring myself to do. No, no matter what, even if he's totally wrong and I'm totally right, I don't take that and use it to my advantage and and make him feel like he's totally wrong or whatever it is. Like it, it it's always we've always tend to try to work together rather than I'm better than you or I'm right, you're wrong. And I think that's you know for us, it's it's worked unbelievably well and and yeah we are very close and i think you know a lot of that comes from my upbringing no doubt you know we've always been very close and and i value that more than most things you know in life it's been amazing and you know it's hard because you you know you don't want to think of you know he's 74 now and you don't want to think about when their time's not here anymore Mm. um but you know i do now because i know that you know it might still be 15 20 years away whatever but i don't want that to come Mm. you know it's uh it's a hard one to to think about along the way i think he said too in his in books and the like over the years that you driving at the team might or him you being his son as much as it was a good thing for you in a lot of ways, it held you back in a few respects along the way where some other teams might not have given you a go because you were Stephen Johnson, not Stephen someone else. Um, And it's been talked about before that there was an opportunity for you, I think, at Gary Rogers that you didn't end up taking. Uh, Our Doric sliding doors moment of these podcasts is the, if you'd just gone through that door, not that door... Uh, was that on the table? Was that uh, that's the drive that Garth Tander ended up yep. getting to replace Stephen Richards, who went to the UK? Y- you were on the sidelines at the time. You were just doing the enduros for the team. You couldn't quite get a, a full time break. But was was that a real? Did you have an offer on the table from from GR? Yep, that was a 
black and white offer to go uh, and a multi-year deal for me to to race there full-time um, in uh, in Gary's Commodore. So, so Bugs would have had a, a tall teammate still, though, no yeah, matter what. Yeah, you would have. Yeah, it wouldn't have, <laughs> it wouldn't have helped Bugs at all <laughs> in regard to uh, uh, to racing the Enduros. But, um, yeah, 100% we, we did. And it was a really hard decision because being such a close family too and knowing that Dad was going to come to the end of the career, you know, in the not-too-distant future, I decided to decline that drive because what did he feel did he say up to you or i think you should do this no he up to me he didn't have a take on either way he actually told me i should take it wow yeah and you disobeyed your dad i did (laughs) i went against him to 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 drive with him later in uh in the career and that's what i was the next point i was going to make if you had taken that drive you would have missed the chance to drive with your dad because he did 98, 99, and you drove together, and then yep. he was finished. That's right. So had you gone and done that deal, unless he was going to quit his own race team and go and drive a Valvoline Commodore, which sure as hell was not going to happen. Well, well not when you're running a Shell Not Ford. when you're in Shell Ford, the two opposite <laughs> yeah. things. Um, you would have missed out on what I know is still a really special part of your career. that You, you can't do that in uh, – fathers and sons can't play in an NRL grand final together. No. They might win flags – 30, 25 years apart. But it's a really unique thing our sport has, and you would have missed it. Yeah, I would have. And I still, to this day, you know, as you know, sliding doors, we talk about it all the time, what would have happened if I did this or did that. But um, I wouldn't change anything for the world. I I loved what I did. I've had a great time doing it. And, you know, just, I mean, that that fourth in 99 was hard because – it was hard, but it wasn't hard. That It would have just been so good and fitting for him to stand on the podium for his last race there. Uh, but all in all, once we got the car back and we knew how bad the brakes were, the, the, literally had no brakes left, it was on the backing plate, uh, we don't know how he, kept, how he got it up to fourth. So um, I still think that was one of his best drives of his career, just doing that. Um, yes, we did drive... We drove in 2000 as well in the uh, in the Queensland 500, where we came out of retirement when Bridie wasn't uh, wasn't available, he wasn't around. Um, didn't end so well. He blew my car up, so I <laughs> kicked him out. I kicked him out. I think he owned it though. He did own it. He did own it. But that was my first full time year, and uh, we had a bit of a a bit of a tribute. You know, roof skin on that car with true sort of blue, true blue blue roof. Yeah, it was before the days of us getting into the retro liveries um, that we've sort of done a bit more. Is for the retro. Yeah, but you only did a roof, mate. You only went part of the way. Yeah, I know. I know. Big job to rewrap a whole You've got to car. Start I guess, small. Though. That's right. Build up, build up big. <laughs> so you didn't take that GRM drive, but you did end up in a ride during 1998, and it was in a, a Falcon, but it was branded Racing for Life. Now, just refresh our memory on what that was, because. From my memory, there was a it was a ex DJR car. I can't yes. remember. If it was run at it was DJR. Run at, it was run at DJR under a, I think SSV Motorsport was the banner, but it was um, a, a was program, an EL Falcon with a program to uh, highlight road trauma and the like. And and you had the number ninety five, which was significant because that was Greg Hansford's number uh, the year that sorry he was killed at Phillip Island. Um, driving a, a Mondeo Super Tourer for, for Ross Palmer's team. And he'd driven, of course, for DJR with your dad in the Mustang and the Sierra days. So uh, well, just remind us on how that deal, what it was and how it came together. And I think you did four or five rounds. And yeah. It, it got you back in a car at least. Yeah, we did. I think I think we even possibly did up to six rounds. So we did quite a few. And, 
you know, Oran Park and Malalar and Calder and, you know, there was quite a few cool races that we did. Um, the One of the guys that was quite, I guess, instrumental in that was a guy by the name of Lee Jeffries. And Lee uh, owned a place called Southside Special Vehicles, which I went and worked at uh, after... I'd finished, well, I'd finished at Q Ford at Springwood, my apprenticeship, and I'd, I'd stayed on at Q Ford for sort of 12 months or a bit more to almost repay Q Ford back for, uh, you know, helping me out with regard to a day off here and a day off there when, you know, you don't normally get that in an apprenticeship. No. <laughs> um, uh, or did they just feel sorry for the bloke that wrote off his Vitara? Right? Yeah, possibly. Yeah, maybe they did. Um, so I went and worked for Lee for a, a while after that, Southside Special Vehicles, and Lee was actually one of the guys that was on my car for the 1992 Bathurst 12-hour. Was it 92? Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was 92, and the Ford Laser. Uh, 93. 93. Is this the year that it blew up on the first That's lap? That's right, yeah. And you didn't even get to drive That's it? That's right, yeah. Good job, Dad. Yeah, good job. He blew, blew your that car up, up again. again. <laughs> <laughs> so that was um, – and that was really just to get us ready – uh, that was myself and Dad and Cameron Conwell. And that was, it was funny because that was part of, I guess, not, not so much a, a testing process, but it was giving Cameron and I laps at Bathurst because at that point the team wasn't sure if they were going to go for Cameron or for myself uh, for the enduro drive at the end of that year. So, uh, so Lee was part of that team and that's where we knew him from and I'd worked with him. And then one of Lee's other friends had... Uh, was a part of this road trauma foundation that that you know basically exactly what that says it's there's a lot of obviously horrible things that happen on the road and this um, company was amazing in fundraising and helping families and helping people that uh, had suffered a trauma in a road accident um, and and obviously linking linking that with Greg Hansford's accident as well. It was it was quite a special thing. Um, we knew it wasn't going to be, you know, the sponsorship that was going to be like the Shell or the Mobile or whatever back in the day that was going to get me a ride full time. But it was enough to get the name out there and uh, the awareness out there. But it was also enough to get me, you know, on the track a half a dozen times for that year just to do some more miles at some different circuits sort of, I guess, blooding and getting getting myself ready for what was to come in a few years' time. And the thing with that, um, I guess you'd call it a satellite car of DJR run out of the workshop. It was yeah. an ex-Shell Helix car. Um, got you back going, got you on the map. Of course, your dad does one more year full-time and then you're in the chair of that famous 17 car. But a lot of people will forget. We remembered you doing Sandown and Bathurst every year for a few years before you got your breakthrough go. But a lot of people forget that you did the same as your dad. You drove a Holden for a little while there, the Elcare Commodore privateer car. So this is 97, where you've done Bathurst a few times, but we're before the Racing for Life era, the the GRM deal that that wasn't. Um, How on earth did you end up in a Commodore? You you drive anything, anywhere, anytime. This is after this accident in New Zealand, isn't it? It was. Yeah, it was. It was actually straight after it. Well, not straight after it, but it it was about the time where... I needed to 
I think the week before I was getting the cast off my leg. And Good then, timing. Yeah, and then the next week we were racing at Gold Coast. So, oh, yeah, that'll help. Yeah, not, not a hard track to drive at at all. wasn't rough. Or... And, and what happened there? Because there was a multi-car shunt yeah, you got was stuck a in, wasn't shunt, it? And I was involved in that, but it wasn't too bad and we were able to get out the next day. But So is this is this DJR helping you out or is this you doing a deal on your, no, on your this, own? No, this, this was a self, self-made deal um, by uh, John Alcorn who owned that car um, and obviously I'll care air conditioning but also Bob Tyndall mm. late Bob Tyndall as well he was involved in that as a as a, a part owner and engineer as part of that team and it was as it was back then it was like the Paul Romanos and that of the day it was a it was a fully privateer team but it was one of the really good ones though it was yeah, yeah it was a front-running team you know we'd won a couple of the, the dashes that they used to have I love their privateers the, dash. the they were great. dashes Sunday morning specials. Yeah, Phillip Island, we won one, and uh, I think that was their one and only, or I think Greg, because Greg Crick drove for that team just before me as well, and uh, uh, I think um, Crick had a few podiums, I'm not sure, he might have won one race or not, but we definitely got got that team uh, a nice little win at Phillip Island at one stage, so just, same again, just getting miles, just trying to get out there and, and do some something different, it was great to work with some people that... Uh, weren't you know i mean not that you never want it like i love working with my family but just to get that other perception you know that i'm actually working for a not working for my dad i'm actually working for another guy that you know i really have got to change my way a little bit and do what the way that he wants me to do it whether it be driving or whether it be outside the car or talking to some sponsors or whatever it is um it was a it was a really good learning curve and i learned a lot from those guys so that just was a small, short, quick deal, and or was it maybe seen that, mate, you can't go and drive a Commodore? <laughs> you've sorry, uh, Shell don't like it, Ford don't like it, or was it just a case of it was what it was? No, and we're it, in our time? it was what uh, it, you know, like it wasn't. I don't think because it was such a small privateer team. I think it, it ran its course, and um, and I think Bob um, uh, actually got little bit sick as well health wise which didn't and sadly help. he passed away i think four or five years later from, from yeah. cancer yeah uh so that that probably really slowed the progress up of that and that really sort of halted that program which you know you can understand 100 percent. i think one of the uh, trivia quiz questions that relates to that little era for you driving that car that do you remember that you missed practice at sandown in the touring car round that you did there on the friday and you had to get a young fill-in driver to drive the car. Do you remember who it was? Oh, I do remember. Oh, he kind of was a big deal some I, years later. Yeah, I do sort of remember. It wasn't Jamie Wincup, was it? No. It was okay. Marcus Ambrose. Marcus Ambrose, that's right. It a was very too. young Formula 4 driver that's who right. uh, was a Tasmanian. Yep. He'd, Did that come through the Greg Crick? I think so. Uh, uh, that well. car was the first car that he, supercar he ever tested quietly down in Tassie. And then, uh, is this a worry that I remember this and you don't? No, well, actually, there is a photo floating around of it somewhere. So of, of Ambrose driving your car. Yeah, but uh, and then I think of us there later when I arrived. I can't. I, I don't. I've got no idea do you, of the reason. You, you, you why? were such a big deal. You only turn up on Saturdays <laughs> for the uh, privateer dash or something. But, I'm not sure. Yeah, that was. Yeah, I do. I definitely do remember that. 
Hey, do you also well, he remember? Didn't do any good, so he must have set the car yeah, kind of well. That good. Yeah, it was his fault. Yeah, yeah, yeah it was his fault. Um, we we jump around here. We are going to get onto the um, TCM stuff. We're going to get onto your time at DJR and some of the great results there. Um, the other thing that people have probably forgotten is that you did have a run in a Super Tourer. Yes, you did a round at Lakeside in the super yep. cheap auto BM that. Jason, I mean, we're going really, we're, we're diving in here. We're going to the deep, deep stuff here yeah. on the V8 Sleuth podcast powered by Doric. Um, this was in this 97 season, so he had a bit of a go at just about everything that year. Um, he only did the one round, I think, from memory. Uh, did your dad ever forgive you for that? Because <laughs> didn't, didn't he just say that two, the only good thing in two litre was orange juice and milk? Milk, yeah, exactly. It's, it was, uh, that was, I guess, same again, you know, like a, uh, another friend or fellow that I met up in Queensland uh, by the name of Craig Newton and he was his car and he was running that little program which was an ex-Jeff Brabham yes. Diet Coke factory car yeah yep yep and um, you know there was a couple of people that had driven that before me and uh, and Jason Richards Jason is one of them Richards that's the one. first car he raced when he came to Australia yep, yeah, yep. earlier that and, year and he, he had that BMW backing uh, mm. from, from New Zealand so that's how that came about then a, a young fella back then uh by the name of wayne wakefield that's drove right it. that's right uh and then i drove it after wayne and it was pretty filthy actually because i went heaps quicker but the only reason i went heaps quicker was because we were on mitchell and tires instead of dunlop tires so um yeah and back then it was a big tire war and and if you're in the know and you know there's all these stories about uh, there's tires and then there's proper tires as in factory tires mm. people go oh, why would you not just give everyone the good tyres. Well, no. Didn't work like that. Didn't work like that. So, Long before the days of controlled tyres being the norm in pretty much most categories. Yeah, exactly. So I raced that at, at Lakeside and it was it was very cool, something very different. I was used to left-hand drive with driving the, the Trans Ams, but it was different. It was actually a sequential shifter and and uh, one of the sort of first cars that actually had that, that – uh, shifter in it it was really cool i really enjoyed that and uh you know a really good fun little car to drive back in those days um you still had to get into the the supercars full-time but when you did so you replace your dad for 2000 you've been knocking at the door for five years i think doing the enduros and then you finally get your first breakthrough win. Tell me about Canberra 2001. When I think of those Canberra street races, I think of how bloody cold it was on the Queen's birthday June weekend. It was not the best time to have a supercar race around a parliament, the two parliament houses, mm. the new and the old. The grid markings and the track markings are still on the road. If you, if you go up to Canberra and you drive around there, State Circle and the like, and past the, the National Gallery and the museum... Um, you'll actually see some of the grid markings and the pit box markings and the like still there. But that's got to be a really happy memory for you, the weekend that you broke through for your first overall round win, back when we used to have rounds versus just individual races. Yeah. Tell me what you – apart from being bloody cold, what do you remember <laughs> from that weekend? I remember, it, it, you know, we sort of – was a milestone on all fronts there. I had my first pole position. I had my first individual race win and I had my first round win. And – uh, it was um, it was something that everything just fell into place. The car was great. I, I'd actually crashed the car in the first practice session. Oh, we forgot about that. Yeah, and uh, at the end of the front straight, it, because it was such a narrow track. Oh, it was horrendous. With a lot of like, there was not really apart from apart from where we saw Marcus Ambrose's wheel fall off and run down the road and and land on the tire. Land wall. on the tires, as Barry Sheen would say, nice controlled tire there. Yeah, that's right. Um, <laughs> 
everything else was curved, right? So the front straight where the start finish was wasn't straight. Was just a big long left curve, and I got to the point where I was coming down. That was towards halfway through the session, and or towards the end of the session, and I just totally lost bearing of there's that many signs and that much stuff going on with the catch fencing and everything else. I totally lost my bearing on where my brake marker was. And before I knew it, I was literally still full throttle, not like not far from the corner. Like if you're, if you're meant to be braking 80 metres out, I was at 50 and still on the ha- on the loud pedal. So I thought, oh, I'm in a lot of bother here. We James. can bleep stuff on this. It's yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. And, and pitched the car sideways. And as you know, street circuits, they've got bugger all runoff. And this had... No runoff because it then went round the square of mm. where the Parliament House is. So the runoff was literally 30 metres. Like the runoff was six rows of tyres. That's all it was. So there was actually no runoff. Um, it would never, ever pass FIA standards nowadays. So I pitched it sideways and I actually went into all these tyres up the escape road dead sideways with the driver's door. Um, and I thought... I'm in trouble here, but once I bounced out that far that I was actually able to get out of the car, so they red flagged the session. I got out of the car, looked at it, I'm like, yes, it's all pushed in quite badly, but it didn't actually hit anything really hard, so the wheels look straight, steering wheel straight, so I I got, uh, the guys were trying to tow me, I remember the, I remember the, the marshals were trying to tow me, I'm like, no, you're going to take forever, give us that crowbar, so I crowbarred the front guard off the tire i crowbarred the rear quarter panel off the rear tire uh i said roll the car so i had the crowbar up there and i was rolling the guard as i was going and then i got back in the car i belted myself in i fired it up i did a flick turn and i drove it back to the pits (laughs) and um and the boys fixed it all up from there and yeah from there on it was it was awesome the car was great i do remember though radisic paul radisic my teammate back then and i paul was Super fast. He was fast in quality. I think you were P1 and 2 in qualifying, so therefore you were the last cars out in the shootout, which back then was top 15. Yes. Not top 10. So he goes second last and you no, go... I, no, no he, he, Yeah, other way around. Yeah, I went second last. Yeah. And he went... So I qualified second in normal qualifying. I remember doing a really good lap. Dave Stewart, who's... Uh, at Cam's now. At Cam's ex now. Ex-supercars. Yep. yep. Ex-supercars. He was my race engineer. And all I remember him saying on the radio was, great job, mate, P1, one to go, as in one one runner to go, which was Paul. So I remember driving around the track thinking, yeah, that's that's really good, you know, at least I'm on the front row, at least I'm on the front row. Uh, and every time I went around a corner, I'd look at the big screen and then I'd say, oh, On yep. the slowdown lap coming back. On the back. slowdown lap yeah. coming back. And I'm like, yep, okay, Paul's starting his lap. Then I'd drive down the next straight. I'm like, oh, yeah, oh, he's... Oh, he's really good, really fast sector. And I'm like, ah, awesome. And then I looked at the next next big screen around the corner and I was nearly back at the pits by then. And he was, as I I got around to it, I could see him pirouetting, spinning down the middle of the road, which it was at a part of the track where you literally couldn't fit a car lengthways down there. So he must have had half an inch at the front bar of the wall and a half an inch from the rear wing to the other wall and he spun this thing and 
didn't hit anything. I thought that's amazing. Uh, but obviously that put him off P15 and, and, uh, and I was P1 and it went from there. One bit of racing, won the round overall. Yep. Did you – you copped over your supercar career, particularly around that era, you're only in the seat because you're dad. You're, you're not serious about this. Your weight's up and down. You're this, you're that, you're everything else. I still else. cop all that today. No, so. <laughs> Nothing's changed. No. But did you go uh, – that win give you that belief that I belong here. Everyone else can get stuffed. I am the real deal. I can do it. And did you feel that there was any change in people's – the way they treated you or reacted to you or was it a case of, no, nah, well, let's see him go and do that a few more times yeah. before we change that? Uh, I, don't, I don't think – Or was the party that good Sunday night that you didn't remember? The party was very good, Noons. Well, the you've party. got a drink in Canberra because it's damn cold. It was, yes. I remember, yes, it was, it was a party that I will never, ever forget the recovery for. That's for sure. It's still going on. It's still going, but – the the race itself and that win, uh, no, it didn't finally say yes. I I'm here. I'm because I always had that confidence and that belief in myself. Uh, it did change the way some people did, I guess, look at me. But you know, I mean, we know what the world's like these days. Mm. It's you know, you turn the news on. It's pretty can be pretty horrible at times. So uh, I've I've learnt to you know. To have pretty thick skin, you know. I've, and this is not a this is not a poor me at all. This is just fact that uh, it doesn't matter who you are, whose son you are. With if your parents are within the media, you're always going to get your supporters, and you're always going to get your knockers. And um, you know, I've had it from school. You know, I, even when I wasn't racing, I was racing go karts. I've had it from school where I'd have you know a handful of good mates on the on the monday after a race meeting if dad had had a bad one or a bad crash or hadn't finished or but then the next race meeting after dad had won the race i'd have basically most of the school was my best mate so uh you know i've been through all that and yeah it's pretty easy for me to tell who's real and who's not kids are fickle yeah. <laughs> kids are cruel sometimes uh, adults are fickle uh, yeah <laughs> it doesn't so change it, it as starts you get older. it goes through um that was a really great year for you and, and your team because I think Paul won the Perth round. You won a race at Calder. You teamed up to win that famous Queensland 500 in the rain where it bucketed down and Paul ended up in the sand with all the yahoos out there. And old mate was running at him with his pants <laughs> with falling his, down. With his pants falling down and he's sort of spinning his shirt around <laughs> while Paul, Paul's parked in the, in the sand trail. Yes. I think he finished Actually, I should have won Calder. Until I muffed the start, and then he, I think Paul got Morris a, got it, and the Paul big Morris Kev won the round. Got it. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, so he, he pinched a Trans Am title off you and a round with a round the, win. Yeah, absolutely. A good guy. What a good guy. Oh, to talk to him next week. So, so within all this era of uh, you were at the team at DJR full time from 2000 to the end of 2012. So uh, we talked about the GRM deal. Was there ever a situation of other offers, other opportunities where you looked at things, discussion about? Is it was there another driver that could have come in? Tell me about because I, I know things were a bit testy, obviously, in the Charlie Schwerkot era as well. But was there a time where there was another deal waved under your nose or oh, is it time for me to just break free and do something different or uh, was there nothing on the table? Because it's far enough ago now that we can talk about yeah, this stuff. Yeah, that's right, and, and not get in trouble for exactly. it. Exactly. There, there was always a lot of talk. I, I don't really recall a, a hard binded folder that would go here here it is um there was always a lot of talk there was you know i'd had talk about going to holden um 
there was no uh, no real talk from you know obviously you had the the John Briggs era and then that translated into to the Roland Dane or Triple Eight era. Um, in this period, are you looking after your own affairs? Did you have a manager? Yeah, or did you? I, I never really had a solid manager. I had uh, a guy by the name of Dale Rogers, who's still a really good, really good mate. Uh, Dale was heavily into Revolution Race Gear for many years, so he he did a lot of dealing with all the race teams, with all of their race suits and all that sort of thing. Uh, he ended up selling out of that, and. Uh, for a period of time there, uh, I had Dale helping me with a lot of stuff with that regard, sponsorship stuff. Um, not so much managing my affairs, but uh, just bits and pieces here and there that, you know, it was getting a bit too hard for me to do all by myself. Um, so he would chat to people about drives and, and so forth for me, but but essentially it was most of the time it was me doing all my own affairs and... Um, yeah, I mean, even to even to this day, talking with people and 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 trying to work my own, I guess my own destiny. But um, uh, there was talk with uh, quite a few teams, but just ones that were quite interesting with me that there was never any dialogue with. But years later, you know, Roland Dane even said to me, "Yeah, we were looking at you." really seriously for quite a while there and and then whether it went the other way or whatever so um yeah so little even little things like that that you you could then hear that other rival teams were actually sort of contemplating what you were doing and watching what you were doing and and liked what you did um but uh not so much any real major deals but i wasn't the type i think the guys that do that are the guys that are knocking on the doors and saying hey you know, I'm I'm up at the end of the year or whatever. What are you, you know, what are you, what are you doing? And I never did that because I was always, um, and I probably people think that I was very content and very comfortable at my family business. But it wasn't, it was a family business. But, you know, it was a family business that had big sponsors. Uh, it, they had, uh, you know, big commercial, um, I guess, targets to fulfill. It's not just all about what you do on the track either. Yes, it's being successful on the track is very important, but having someone that you can comfortably have promote, talk about um, as an ambassador for your business, um, it's not so easy for everybody. And that was really installed into me from a very young age by, by my dad, and JB, JB, John Bauer was massively influenced, uh, in uh, a massive influence in my life. So uh, to to bounce off them, and they, those two guys are like, oh, I was going to say chalk and cheese, but tweedled in, tweedled done, maybe, I don't know. But <laughs> Careful. Um, they're so different, which was great for me because I had the one side of dad that was the cruisy, laid back, do this, do that, and John that was just the methodical, thinker that would would um, not take stuff for granted would and I'm not saying dad didn't work hard but he was different he was doing business stuff and he was trying to race and he was trying to do deals and he was trying to run the team and he and whereas John just had the driving aspect and for me to be able to have that sort of experience um, and then knock around with guys you know like Mark Scaife and Russell Ingle and all those sort of guys as a kid um, and annoy the 
annoy the shit out of them, to be honest, <laughs> was uh, was really cool and it really, you know, led to what we're doing now. DJR has ridden and your dad's career has ridden such a wave of big highs and lots of lows. You know, there's some tough financial times there. There was um, obviously uh, a championship win in 2010 that had a, a big backdrop going on with the team ownership situation between your dad and, and Charlie Schwerkot as well. Through all of those tough times, I mean, how how tough did it get? Let's peel the onion back a bit here. Uh, how tough did it get in terms of the dollars? I know your dad had to sell his collection of, of race cars. Luckily, they're still around and um, still out and about there to be enjoyed and seen by the fans. But take us in depth now a bit more. And obviously, it's a difficult situation in some respects. But how bad did it get back then? How close were the doors to closing to this team? Uh, the, yeah, the... It, it's it was it was you know I mean there's same again I don't like sort of playing the poor ass you know because it's not that at all it's everybody goes through ups and downs in their life and, and makes decisions that at the time seemed yep. like a good idea but turned out to not be a good absolutely. idea absolutely and and it was really tough it was you know you've got a guy like you know my old man and my mum that are so passionate and proud and respectful of every human being that you 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 don't realize the stress that they were going through not not because they were going to lose everything but because they um how do you put it they were so worried about every single employee at dick johnson racing um that they didn't want anyone there to lose one dime of what they were owed and and they didn't want the business to go under because then you'd have 40 to 50 employees unemployed wondering how they're going to feed their families like they couldn't sleep at night thinking about all that and how did it get to that point was it purely that whole west point deal that set it off or was it deeper rooted or how, how do you go from winning races a couple of years before, shell team, it all looks really good on the outside to a team fighting for its survival and trying to get by. Well, you know, the West Point thing definitely hurt in 05. That that did hurt them a lot. But they they sort of bounced back with um, with the, the Jim Beam stuff, I guess, starting from 07, really. That was where it started to bounce back. Uh, he had quite a few bad employees that were there in the, in the hierarchy of management that... Um, you know, Dad is a self-confessed race driver and a self-confessed non-business person. And that's half the problem with yep. a lot of people in life who think that they can do certain things because they were successful in one part of their world but ultimately are not in the other because it's just not their thing. So not, you need the right people around you to do that stuff. Exactly. And Dad, But Dad wasn't blind. He knew that he wasn't this guru, Kerry Packer, or whatever you wanted to call them you know uh so he to the best of his ability would try to employ these sort of people to do the right thing at in his business his and mum's business so when you know the the funny thing is these days you see people that uh the very 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 smart people tend to be the ones that want to do everything wrong because they're so smart they can get around anything (laughs) And, you know, Dad just got caught out with that. He had the wrong people in there. And, and, and are we talking that they just 
overspent or that they just did um, bad deals? They overspent. Or? They laundered money out for themselves. They uh, portrayed us to have all of our sponsorship contracts renewed when they weren't. Um, you know, and that's what happened. We got to 2013, and from what Dad understood and the talkings that he had with everyone, and he wasn't the one that, that would go and do the deal. He's the figurehead. He was he was there with, you know, with all. And you know, we haven't. You know, we can blame everybody else, but it's it's you know, you got to look at yourself. And it was our own fault. We didn't understand what was going on, and and that's how you know we got into that. Well, they got into that situation, and. Um, got to the 2013 season and we got to Adelaide or just before Adelaide, two weeks before Adelaide or three weeks before Adelaide, I think there was seventy or $80,000 worth of sponsorship locked away for the season. For a supercar team that... A two-car supercar team. You know, we're talking millions is required, not yep. tens of thousands. Yeah. So... Um, and that and that's essentially what ended your full-time career yep. because uh, sponsors and therefore drivers with sponsors, Tim Blanchard came along and had yep. some, some backing uh, and that was the reason why you had to stop because... Johnny Reid came along yeah. um, with backing from from a guy with an open Nathan Tinkler that we thought had backing and same again. So hence the reason why Johnny was extricated out of the seat and Not some, even bo- some kid called Chaz got the some drive. Some kid called Chaz Moss got the drive. It's worked Perth out okay for him. And uh, won a race that year and then it went okay from there. So, yeah, it's funny how, how it all works out. I don't want to keep delving into the, the tough times, but they, they're the things that define you. And I know your dad always says the only thing you get from looking back is a, is a crook neck. But um, I want to talk about some really good stuff. And the thing that sticks out for me in terms of your Bathurst career, and it's around that era, um, of the fight back era, let's call it, that you mentioned, the Jim Beam era, 2007, uh, you and Will Davison in the big fight at Bathurst, a gripping um, final stint of the race with yourself. Currently Craig, my favourite co-driver, if you, uh, well, if you read the questions. I think he's self-proclaimed. We are going to get to the couch race <laughs> Thanks, questions Willard. that we take from social media. I've got a funny feeling Will Davison did write in to ask who <laughs> your favourite co-driver was. Slightly loaded question. But the end of that race was epic because there was yourself... Uh, Lowndes, James Courtney in the Stones car, Murphy in the Tasman mm-hmm. Commodore, a couple of other guys floating not far away, Alan Simonson, Alan Simonson who's no longer with car, us yeah. in the Vodafone car, uh, Alex Davis in the second Jim Beam car, big Congo line of cars. It's wet, it's slippery. Um, I would say having – I remember that race so intimately, and you should remember it better because you were in it. That's your best chance yep. at winning the race. And if Lowndes used you up at the exit of Hell Corner to take the lead and you couldn't get him back. So if you had your time over, what do you do again? I would have just turned in. <laughs> I would have just turned in way harder. Um, and made but, him hit you. Well, at the point where we were just turning in, he was, he was just behind me. But at that point there... And you, this is like three laps to go, I think, from memory. Turn yeah, one, hell corner. Three or you've, five You've taken five the lead. Yeah. Um, you are, you've never stood on the podium before that day at Bathurst. No. It's, let alone won the thing. So, and it was, yeah, it was, it was a tough time because as, you know, we just, we just spoken about, uh, it, it was a time where we were rebuilding. It was, you know, we'd, we'd only had a one year deal with Jim Beam. We really needed to cement a really good result there. Even though we put on a great showing all weekend, you know, not just for the race. You, like, you were fast in quality. We were some Friday or Thursday practice. Um, and you know, crashed on no. the practice just before the shootout, at the or before 
qualifying or the shoot, no, the shootout at the cutting. You did uh, a Larry, didn't you? I Remember did. Remember how he cluttered up there into the wall in his yep. last year? Yep. So exactly the same thing. Just lost the rear through the little kink into the into the cutting and then banged it up against the wall, which wasn't too bad. But um, as I got further around the corner, you're sort of using the wall as a berm sort of thing. Um, there's a gate there. Mm. Larry, Larry knows that. The Larry that. gate, exactly. <laughs> And uh, the gate basically just, because it wasn't symmetrical with the wall, it was almost like a sort of a 30-degree angle to the wall. It just grabbed the right front wheel as I hit it and just tore the whole right front out of the suspension. So did a lot more damage than we, we sort of wanted and, and really needed at that point. Um, we were down to, our, I think, our last spares. So um, that was it. You know, that was all we had left for that weekend and um i remember very clearly um i think will actually might have even been a little bit worried but will's pretty good like we we had an amazing relationship as teammates and co-drivers and but i do remember adrian burgess saying to me almost trying to talk me out of doing the shootout because he thought my mind wasn't in the right space after the accident and i said no no, i'm right i'm good you know it was just a small mistake we've been fast all weekend and I, you know, I think secretly he wanted Will to, to get in and do the shootout because he didn't think that I was, I was right for it. But having said that, we went out and we we put it on P4 and and you know we raced up the front all day. I have we've had Will Davison on the podcast here on the V8 Sleuth podcast powered by Dorit before, and we've talked with him about uh, the 2007 Bathurst and the finish because he was in the pits, you were in the car. Yeah. So I don't know if you know this, but you might have learnt it subsequently that um, in a former life I was a television reporter for the Seven Network and I got a little gig that weekend in the pit lane because a certain Grant Denyer was racing, so they needed someone else. So I got a little gig and I'd, I'd been sort of – those last 20 laps, you kind of got to pick a garage and I ended up in your garage. But the thing was they kept asking me to interview your dad. I couldn't find him because he left the garage. He was out the back. He could not bear to watch. Did you know that? No, no. He could not watch. I kept asking to find him. Uh, Mum was there because only recently, I think only, it might have only been maybe a month, month and six weeks ago that I've been, I was going through my computer and, and I've got about four or five hard drives of just photos and videos that I've I just really needed to sort out. So I went through and, you know, after 15 years of, of it, sorting them all out. That's a lot of terabytes. Oh, tell me about it. It was painstaking. I'm still not finished, but I'm most of the way there. I come across a heap of these photos from 2007 Bathurst, um, you know, photos of Will's fiance Rihanna, and, and my wife, Bree, and uh, mum there with her hands over her eyes and... Um, some really cool Will, like you know, like you could see Will it's when like, he had hair. When he had when he had <laughs> hair. Sorry, Will though. Um, and it well, was. I'll get hit for that. Yeah, it was. It's very cool. You know, even little. You know, those photos that you get on the grid before the start of the race. Um, you know, it was really cool, and but, I actually messaged did, them. But did you notice who wasn't in the photos? Yeah, the old man wasn't there. Wasn't there. He yeah. just couldn't bear to watch because clearly. His young blokes leading the, the, the race that will that has defined his career really, um, 
Probably it took all, off because I, I nearly sprayed it about half a dozen times I, before that. So. I vividly recall the kick on DeConrod on, on the wet yeah. patch sideways. Go and look up the video. Um, go and look it up online wherever you've got to. On V8 Super Archive, great to watch all the old supercar races. Oh, geez, I'm doing plugs now for you everybody are. else. That's that's not good. But anyway, uh, stunning race. I just wanted to relive it with you because it was a it was a great memory. But well, so, sorry, I want to go back and just say quickly that that was the best worst result. Well, yeah, I was going to say, were you stoked to be on the podium or gutted that you nearly won? Both, exactly, both. Because <laughs> what I was a mixed emotion. Stoked to be on the podium, um, mainly because of that, you know, that Jim Beam and that whole past that we'd had, that hard time, that finally we'd got a good result. Um, but gutted because, you know, I think that we definitely, I definitely let one, let one slip through the fingertips. Um, and I'm sure if we went on and asked Will um, what my first words were to him when, because obviously he's down the pit, I drove the car after the race around and you get sort of, obviously the leader gets parked under the podium and the second and third are not far away. And I got taken up to the um, up to the podium and I beat Will up there. So that usually the drivers that are in the cars are quickly up to the top there. And when Will got there, the first thing I said was, oh, mate, I'm sorry, mate. I screwed that right up. And uh, I think he was nearly in tears. And uh, he's like, no way, mate, bullshit. That's, you know, there's no way I could have done that. Like, that was just intense. And I'm like, you could have done that, mate. You know, you know what it's like. It's harder out of the it's car wor- than it's. it's worse watching in the pit, Yeah, mate. so, um, yeah. So, but, you know, it was. It was hard, but it, it was cool, but it was frustrating as well. Um, one of the weird things was we saw you not driving for DJR for a year there in the Enduros. You went and drove for Erebus in one of the Mercedes with Maro Engel, the SP Tools car. Uh, obviously, you had to get out of the seat because the team yep. needed funding. Uh, why Erebus? Uh, why, where else could you have gone? It just looked weird seeing you in a different yeah, car. How'd you end up there? I think we, we really had that... Um, I'd, I'd always had a really good relationship with Ross and Jimmy Stone. Um, Who had worked for DJR yes. back before they had their yep. own team. And sure, there was a you know, there was no bigger rivalry in motorsport, I think, and people don't really know this, but uh, between Stone Brothers and DJR it was always about that, like even bigger than DJR and HRT at the time because I think because Ross and Jimmy were there and then they went and did their own thing and there was always that they've got to beat DJR because they were there and then DJR's got to beat them because they got to show them that you know, they're just as good without them as what they were with them. And and it was, you know, but we'd always had that healthy respect for each other. And uh, I'd known Ross and Jimmy for a long time. Obviously, they were in, in the process and had sold the business to, to Betty, and uh, which were for, was Erebus was formed. And um, between those two, uh, I'd used to speak to Betty at the racetrack a little bit, but Rod Madison, who was the general manager back then, uh, he would speak to me a lot. Um, and it just came about. They they actually asked. I had the meeting with Ryan Madison and Ross Stone just around the corner from uh, their facility up at Yatla in Queensland. And, um, yeah, we, we did a deal for the Enduros. And uh, they wanted someone that had been there before. Obviously, Mara was fresh and he was... I guess inexperienced in those sort of cars and even though that was a car of the future car so I guess you could say that I was inexperienced in them as well but your track knowledge is pretty yeah, significant track knowledge and I guess what I'd done in the past with, with all those years of full time racing so they wanted someone that could really help Maro and be solid a solid backup for Maro and 
uh, yeah, so they chose me, which was which was quite cool, and I really enjoyed my my year there. Any other deals? Come on, reveal, reveal. Who else was offering some deals? Come on. Um, to be honest, Nans, I'm getting too old to remember oh, all that. Come but, on. <laughs> you know, there was there was quite a few talks with Brad Jones Racing as well, um, and the only downside for, to that for me was. I'm six foot four, and the guys that he had were five foot six, five foot seven. So that was really, you know, my height and size. Probably, um, if if I was, you know, five five eleven, five ten, yeah, maybe I could have driven with a lot more people. But you know, these days with with the minimal size seat insert that you got and the speed that you need to do driver changes, um, it's more beneficial these days to try to get someone your size and someone that's going to sort of fit into your seat without too much complexity. And, uh, you know, I, I know you remember Paul Radisich and I racing together and that was that was an engineering feat. And it was like the Tandabarwana thing. It, it was like the Tandabarwana thing. We had a, a seat that was all sprung-loaded and it was on a runner system that would spring forward and go up at like a 30-degree angle. So <laughs> when it was fully up and forward, it was Paul's that was position. Paul position. And when it was fully down and back, it was my position. Um, the only thing was you needed to make sure it was fully clipped in properly when it was up in Paul's position because otherwise with what happened at Queensland Raceway in practice, we'd done a driver change and Paul drove down the pit lane and we got to the end of pit lane and he pushed the 40K button off and the car took off. And the seat went shooting back into my position. And <laughs> could Paul, he reach the pedal? No, no, he 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 was not even. Cl- he was he was a good six to eight inches from even touching any pedals. So I don't know how he managed to do it. I really wish we had an in-car camera, which I'm sure he would have. Um, he actually got the seat back up into his position by turn three at QR. I don't know how he did it, but he, he did, did it. it. Yes. Of all the cars we've talked about of, of your V8 supercars, um, V8 Sleuth is very heavily linked with the history of the race cars. And we'll talk a bit more about that surely. But of your old supercars, if you could have one just sitting there tucked away in the workshop as a keeper from your career, and I, I know there's probably some cool cars yeah. of your dad you'd like, but of, of S. Johnson cars, what's the one that you'd love to have? Oh, it's Yeah, it's got to be the 2001 AU Falcon for sure. Uh it's hard to go, you know, it's either that or it's the 07 Bathurst third car, which uh, uh, obviously quite fond memories as well. But, um, you know, that that camera car, which I've still got the bonnet and the door from as well. What, the one you crashed or the one you won with? No, nah, the one I won with. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah, yeah, the one I won with. Still got all the champagne, I think, on the bonnet. <laughs> so, uh, um, Are you a yeah. hoarder? Do you, do you love to keep old stuff? No, like not your really. your suits and your helmets and your oh, bits and pieces? I keep suits and helmets. Yeah. yeah, I keep them. One of everything. Mm. I don't keep. I've actually even got a team shirt, like a team uniform shirt of Lounsies because we used to swap shirts every now and then. A lot of the footy players used to do. Yeah, yeah. Uh, at the end of the season, I got his, one of his 1996 uh, team... Holden Racing Team was like a quite a light blue shirt. I remember with, them. Yeah, with a, they were like a boss, a Hugo. Yeah, boss like shirt. a Hugo Boss shirt. Yeah, which was uh, which was his championship year. So I got. So that if shirt we see home. one on eBay, 
from Team Johnson, we know what it was. It's not going on eBay. (laughs) (laughs) Um, The great thing is about what you're doing now, of course, you're racing Touring Car Masters with the famous Mustang Sally car and winning tons of races there, um, catching JB's record here and there, just quietly. But the other thing is that uh, Team Johnson, which is the team you and your dad have got to do the TCM thing and to build your your new TCM XD Falcon, but you're also restoring one of the X-Shell EB Falcons, which is... The car that he raced with John Bathurst in 1993, and our fans will remember, it's the car that he ended up hard in the wall in uh, when Bill O'Brien, the poor Canberra privateer, who was a legend of the mountain, um, had a little mistake and wiped out 17 on the way through. Yeah. And that car never raced again. It was really badly smashed up. Um, but I think it was the Campbelltown TAFE program in the early 2000s at least repaired it to the point that it became a car in the, the museum up at the team's workshop. And we did see it out uh, last year. Scotty McLaughlin did a photo shoot with it at Queensland Raceway. Um, it was part of the Bowden's collection, It's been, uh, which had been part of the DJR collection. It's been sold now to a private owner. And you've been given the gig of bringing it back to life with the intent of not just being a runner but being a racer. So tell yeah. me about the process of how do you go and restore a 25-year-old car? Where do you get the bits? Do you have to make the bits? Uh, what's this whole process been like? It's, yeah, it's, it's, it's a real exciting, real exciting project for us. It's, you're right, to try to get, get bits uh, that fit. Um, it's got to race as basically a period correct car um, as close as possible. So apart from things like uh, the man- engine management systems these days, which you can't use what they had back then, so you've got to update that. Uh, but essentially, uh, safety, or you, you put one of the new seats in it, but essentially we're trying to rebuild it back to how it was, exactly the same roll bar systems that, that they had, exactly the same cross members. So this was lucky. It was a rolling chassis. We have got suspension parts, bottom and top arms, and a few things. We've got no shock absorbers, but they're easy to get. Um so we've got a few bits and pieces there. We've got a lot of photos. I've got a lot of photos of it. Uh, so did the team actively take photos when they built cars back in those days? So, I mean, these no. days we can take photos of everything. You just whip your camera phone out and bang, bang, bang. Yeah. But in those days, we didn't have camera phones. It was actually an effort to go and get film processed. And I guess people were just too busy building the car and getting it on the track to worry about, hang on a minute, in 25 <laughs> years' time, there might be some bloke who needs to know where that digit widget and thing went and where did that bit of wiring yep. run? And yep. no one looked ahead to, to see this sort of stuff. Yeah, they didn't. And that's why it's really cool because we've, you know, it really, I've got to pinch myself because the fan base that follow, you know, the Johnsons is just unbelievable. Like the, the things that I see, the photos of Dad that I see that they put up on the fans of Dick Johnson page or the fans of Team Johnson page, like they're just so passionate. And we can ask a question to to anyone on our fan page and say, hey, has anyone got any photos of Boom. back in 93? <laughs> and all of a sudden, bang, 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 these photos come through. I've got photos of that someone might have taken, uh, which was uh, in the sort of tent where the EB Falcons were next to the transporter where the, the tents used to be off the side of the transporter. Um, the boot was up in the car. They've taken a photo of just the car with the and boot And that's up. critical and like, to you now. There's the fuel system. That's how it looked. That's what we need to get. You know, so all this sort of stuff's come through. Um, I've got uh, another fella who is actually lives in the Blue Mountains, which is on the way to B- uh, Bathurst. And he's got the 
the preceding car to this car. So the pre- car that we got is EB3. He's got EB2. Um, and they were basically a very close um, model to each other. EB3 had a few little updates with the front suspension and things. But he's got essentially most of the car down there. So we're going to actually take a trip, Nick, uh, who works for us at, at Team Johnson. Who's uh, ex-DJR mechanic from the Supercar Days. Yes, he is. And he he was my lead mechanic on my car for a good two or three years. Um we're going to go for a trip down to the Blue Mountains and go and see this car and take some photos. Uh, the owner and I of EB2 have been uh, swapping photos of bits and pieces to each other to try to help each other out. So, um, you know, just a lot of that's a lot of talking with guys like Richard Swan, who now works at Paul Morris's, um, who was was with us then at that era, uh, who would know what's right and what's wrong so just even just talking to all these guys and how was this dad's brother dino who was there building them all and and driving the truck and all that sort of thing so picking their brains and getting them all together it's it's quite a cool thing to do actually like it's it's for me um being a bit of a car buff and love the history side of things um uh, to to be able to do this, you know, we're expecting this to be a runner to to race in the V8 Touring Car Series. And I do and know an event it. called the V8 Sleuth Touring Car yes, Classic I know. Father's Day weekend at Winton that would be perfect for a car like this. I know it would be, and you've put the pressure on. I know. So no, 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 no pressure. Uh, if, it's, if it can be done, it can be done. If it Otherwise, can be done, we'll do it next year. We'll do it next year, absolutely. But we'd love to have had it done by then. I. I just don't think we got the... No, no, we're even getting, things, you want to do it properly, though. We want to do it properly. We're even getting things like the fuel cell remade to exactly how it was. We've got the old fuel cell, so the Premier who make them, we've already sourced them to make another one exactly the same. Like So it's going to be very cool. Um, the car was never meant, as you said, never meant to be raced again. It was it was bent like you would not believe. Um, the Campbelltown TAFE crew had it donated to them by DJR, to say here as a project yeah, for the students project, to yeah, repair. try and fix yeah. this bunker of metal you know good luck <laughs> yeah it was almost as bad as the 1993 car that went through the trees i mean it was it was bent um so they you know put new rails in it and this and that and, and got it you know pretty good uh but it, but they never took the time to do it because they didn't need to it was never going to be racing and it was never meant to be raced again but now it is going to be raced again so we've already had it out had it over to uh, the guys that normally would help us, you know, even in the current era, uh, fix cars, um, straighten cars, and it was hard. These these old things were built differently back then. These things were, uh, if you have a look from the from say basically the front squab of the driver's seat in the normal road car all the way forward and up the firewall um these cars were lined with fiberglass to stiffen them up and but back then it was all for heat oh mm. no we've got to keep the heat out of the car <laughs> it was actually it was actually to stiffen them up so i mean we've had 30 ton on this thing trying to move it and it's only moved a little bit so wow. we've got it pretty close and it's good enough to race so we're uh, we're full steam ahead and hoping to have dick johnson shake it down at the end of the year it's a pretty cool thing to be able to do for a, a customer uh, such as an owner of a car like this who can not only have the guy that his team or elements of that former team put it back together, the guy who raced it at the time be the one who shakes it down. Yeah. It's a pretty cool part of our, our racing history. Uh, the number 17 
continues on for you in touring car masters. Tell me about Mustang Sally. It's a car that Mustang as a brand has great passion from the Ford fans, but that car through John Bow and now through you um, has become the car, like the, the iconic car of touring car masters for what the last what, five years, six years. Tell me about TCM, the category, the racing, where you're at in your world, because it looks like you f- you fit into the genre of it. It's just suiting you really well, like where you're at in your in your life, in your racing life. Yeah, it, it's it's. I really, I'm really enjoying my racing, and that's the thing. I think. Do you enjoy it more now than you did in the last five years of your, your main game career, or is it just five, a different type of enjoyment? Not, it's different type. It's 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 a different pressure cooker, I guess you'd call it. Um, the definitely the last couple of years, and then I guess the first year or so of. Uh, of the supercar stuff when I wasn't racing was really hard and it did it did put a a pretty bad taste in my mouth but you know circumstances are what they are we did what we needed to do to keep the family business going and you know that's the end of the you know that's what we did we all sacrificed and um some you know some harder than others but you know it is what it is and to be honest for mum and dad to lose what they built up over that 30 or 40 year period of racing um, for a couple of silly mistakes was silly and what they've done for me over my life that's the least we can do so um, you know that really pushed us into what we've got these days and um, they're happy they're going well we're entering car masters now and so, so team johnson's you and your dad, yes, and, and to just explain and to the fans, and my wife Bree, and, you, and, and my mum, you know, yeah. it's just us. it's a family, even my sister, you yeah, know, like it's yeah. it's back to sort of how it used to be, I guess. And yes, we've yeah. got one employee. Well, I'd love to grow Team Johnson to to have half a dozen employees, and you know, even get a couple of those that are still around working for other people back and, and doing stuff for us and and have a good time doing and, it, and doing some of your own racing, some restorations for customers, some yep. customer cars, yep. Um, so, so the thing is that, that your dad's a, has got a shareholding in DJR Team Penske, which was Dick Johnson Racing. Yes. It's the same entity. And at Team Johnson, that's sort of a – some people might actually think the two things are morphed. It's a, it's a little separate thing over here that he's still the figurehead there, a shareholder there. But this is kind of where he gets to roll his sleeves up and he gets back in the engine base. <laughs> and you can't keep away from this stuff, really. No, you, you can't. And, you know, you're right. He is a figurehead at, at DJR Team Penske now, and, and he's not so much hands-on. And uh, he does – he loves coming to Team Johnson, to our little factory. But having said that, it's it's funny because I go, oh, Dad, oh, geez, we really need this. Oh, God, really? Do I have to go and do that? You know? <laughs> but then I'm like, no, it's all right, Dad. I'll go and do it. I'll just come no, to I'll, I'll, I'll just I'll come DJR Team Penske. I'll just grab this, and I'll, I'll see Ben up there, and I'll do that. And he's like, no, 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 I've got it. I've got it. I'll do it. He's your delivery boy. And away he goes, and he goes – oh, he's not just delivery boy. He'll go up, and he'll he'll – Mate, like, just for instance, the other week um, prior to my young fella Jet having a run in his his little Hyundai uh, XL, and the throttle pedal was no good on it. So Dad's got this thing, he's pulled it off, and he's gone up to the DJR Team Penske, and he's fabricated this little thing, and he's made it perfect, you know, and he's he's brought it back. Oh, Jesus, he's put it on backwards. So then he had to go back up there, and he had to fully mirror it and go the other way. And then he's come back down. Oh yeah, that's perfect. That's perfect for Jet. He's measured it. Like he just he's he's got a you know I know it sounds bad. I'm not saying he hasn't got a purpose. He's definitely got a purpose in everything he does, but 
he's he's just got his he's got his hands back again you know he's got his his creative brain back again and he's making stuff and he's cutting stuff for us and he makes me weld he doesn't want to weld he goes oh that's too bloody hard that stuff so i go and help him weld and um it's just good fun it's really good fun and and you know i am so lucky that we've got someone like him and and something like you know dj team penske which i mean we team johnson would survive without it but it makes it so much easier if we can just if dad zips up there and goes how do we fix this or what do we do here and Mm. you know we've got such a wealth of knowledge up there that it's helping us but we're building our own knowledge as well there's not too many supercar teams that are working on parts for Hyundai Excels. Uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. In Australia, motor racing. We've got to do half of that stuff when they're away racing so that we can just slip into the workshop when they're away doing their supercar stuff and we can just get some stuff done. Righto. They're, they're going to get security in there to wonder yeah. why the lights are on. I don't at think they're going to take the, uh, the, the uh, alarm code off the old man. That's I've for got sure. a funny feeling that they might not. Um, <laughs> one thing we do on these V8 Sleuth podcasts is we do couch racer questions. So uh, we've put the call out through social media in the lead up to our sit down here, and we've asked our fans for, for questions. So we, we'll try to do them rapid fire so we can get through yep. as many as we can. So don't waffle. Um, Matt Pisani asks, do you reckon a TCM top 10 shootout before the main game at Bathurst would be popular? Oh, I'd love it. I reckon that would be sensational. Not just about the drivers. But about, I reckon the fans would love that. I think that. the fans would absolutely love it. So, yeah, I reckon that's a great idea. Okay. Uh, sorry, I'm scrolling, scrolling through the phone here. This is high tech. I used to write this stuff down, but it's easier <laughs> to scroll. Um, Gavin Hillier asks, tell us a story about your old man and a Suzuki Vitara that you owned. Well, we've already done that we've story. We've done that, yep. Uh, Rowan Gould says, at a fundraiser event in Kilmore for the Victorian bushfires in 2009, so it's 10 years ago now, mm. uh, both you and CL, Craig Lowndes, uh, seemed to have a pretty good relationship and kept the room entertained. Uh, out of all the drivers up and down the pit lane, who did you genuinely get along with the most? And I would I would guess that, it, that Craig, and you, yep. you, you, your careers ran at a, started a similar time in V8s at Bathurst, um, you always seem socially quite good, yep. like you got along quite well, and then you're in the Ford family together when he came across. So is that a fair Absolutely. statement? Absolutely. And, you know, Craig obviously used to live, or still does live, north of Brisbane. Um, and uh, we used to go up there a lot, go motorbike riding, at a property up there. So, yeah, so it wasn't just at the racetrack. We'd, we'd definitely catch up outside the racetrack. And, you know, there's not... There's probably a handful of people that I'd catch up with outside the racetrack that I raced against, uh, and Craig was definitely one of them. Uh, who's on the head of the list that you wouldn't catch up with? That I Who'd wouldn't? you have the most run-ins with in your supercars career? Where you, you, I remember you and Tanda always had niggle. Yeah. At Sandown one day you came in to give him a, a serve after he'd given you a tap off the, the first couple of laps, and yep. I think he half dispatched you back out the garage. Yeah, but yeah. Did, did you guys not get – who did you not get along uh, with? I mean, you have that sort of run-in with so many, like, mm. you know, so many. I think there's, there's not too many that – I can remember that, you know... Nothing that lingered. Nothing nothing like the Ingle Scaife thing, no. No, oh, we're still talking about that. Yeah, I know. But, no, no, yeah. I mean, Garth and I now, we're always chatting away. Like, I think you you had that, that issue and that rivalry back then, but, like, we've got so much respect for each other now, you know, it's, it's quite cool. And when the war's over, the swords are down. I think everyone who, I mean... Talk about like Will Davis and he and Will Power couldn't stand one another back in the day, and now they're generally good mates. Well, so it's, talking about team owners, it's a different story, right? So we don't we don't want to get into what team owners I don't like, but the drivers, go on, yeah, go on. Oh, it's it's probably common knowledge, isn't it? Sure, I don't know what team owner did you not like? Well, what I mean, oh, team co-owner? That's, you mean that's currently still in supercars? Oh uh, yeah, might have a car with name eighteen on the side. Okay, yeah. 
Do you want to keep going there, or are you going to oh, stop Charlie, there? Let's let's face right, it. Okay, Charlie. Okay. So did you, there's not too many people that I can say EAD to, but he's one of them. Okay, right. I've got no idea what that means, but well, either, someone can go other, and yeah. look it up. Um, Dorito, <laughs> right? Um, not getting involved. Not getting involved. Um, let's keep going. This is about the punters. Yeah, well, this is about the it. fans. The 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 couch racer questions. Do you like the name of this? This is I came I up do. with that. Do you like that? Yeah, I do actually. Yeah, I, I like watching motor racing on the couch. It's good to be at the track, but a good comfy couch with. A drink and a, and a bag beer. of chips yeah. and is always good. Um, let's keep going. Uh, Christian Bright, I don't know if he's related to Jason. Uh, Favourite memory at the track as a kid watching your dad race? Ooh. Uh, I have were, a were couple you, of memories. Were you there when he won the championship in 81? I was. Lakeside? Yeah, do, you, I was. do you remember that? Yep, I do. You were about what, seven or something? Yep, I remember. That famous I race, was, he and I was, yes, I was seven years old. Good, good news. Um, I, yes, I remember. I was tied to the truck because I was a turd and I was... Uh, <laughs> you were tied to the truck? Yeah, Roy McDonald, who was a long-time He was employee. the first employee, he DJ. Was. Yeah. Uh, he basically tied me to the truck with a rope and the back truck tyre and, and I could only go so in a radius of 10 metres. So you couldn't get in the pits or get Pretty in the way? Pretty much, yeah. I was, I was a bit of a pest. I was in, in and out of things and stealing things and taking spanners and whatever else. So Roy tied me up on the other side of the truck so I couldn't even see what was going on. <laughs> oh, dear. You couldn't do that these days. No. Uh, Lachlan Weiss. Weiss? Weiss? I'll go with Weiss. Sorry, Lachlan, if I've got it wrong. Um, he says, at one stage, you were a regular visitor to Archerfield Speedway up in Queensland. Uh, was there a possible connection to having you go on a sprint car? Were you there as a... Did you ever drive a sprint car? Yeah, I did. I drove a sprint car. Uh, I drove a uh, sprint, uh, sprint car a couple of times. John Kelly's car I drove, or Bob Kelly's car. And more recently, uh, I drove Brody Tullock's car. So uh, very cool. I, I had a lot of friends. You know, I'm really good friends with... Um, uh, Matt and Max and uh, the Dumsneys from Sydney. Uh, so yeah, so like I've got a lot of other friends here that racing race up at Archerfield. I've, I've got friends that go. You know, I'm, I'm I go there. I'm a race fan. I'd love to mm. do it. And there has Same. been talk, but I'm just I love going there watching. You know, watching. Um, you know, Robbie Fari's doesn't live far from me, and we always chat. And you know, just. Seeing those guys, him and J Mac and all the boys, just having a having a good crack. Um, yeah, I'd definitely a uh, uh, a seat or a fence sitter up there, and uh, with a not a burger, just a just a drink would be fine. And, uh, You're a crappy a liar. You're a crappy liar. <laughs> Maybe a dagwood no, dog n- or nothing two. Nothing like a sausage roll at the speedway yeah. on a Saturday night. Uh, uh, another question for you, mate. Uh, Robert Orot says your biggest regret in V8 supercars. We've probably uh, covered. Things, but I actually yeah. haven't asked you that. Uh, I don't honestly. I you know I don't have any regrets because, as we did speak about, there were a couple of other opportunities to move, um, and I feel that I made the right decision my whole my whole career. So, um, you know, probably the biggest regret is what I said to you earlier was that we didn't make that podium in 1999 for Dad's last race at Bathurst. That was probably my biggest regret. And 2007, not chopping Lounsey's nose off. I, Hell Corner to win the Bathurst race in 07. Uh, Stephen Brennan asks, is there any hope of Team Johnson setting up a Super 2 or a Super 3 team uh, to run as uh, something of a junior team, potentially for DJR Team Penske or similar? Well, yeah. I mean, that's actually, but you've had a Super 3 a, car in your workshop recently. We have, uh, and a Super 2 car currently. Tell more. Um, so we've actually got... Uh, Matt Charter's car in there, which is actually uh, an ex-DJR Team Penske car that was sold as one of two cars uh, went into the Matt Stone Racing 
uh, fold. It's one of the first car of the futures from DJR right. before the Penske buy-in. Yeah, so it wasn't a full. Obviously, it was a, it was a hybrid, so it was more of a uh, a Tickford car. Yeah, FPR at the time, FPR we were really involved time. with parts and the like for those yeah. early DJR. So, car yeah, futures. so we've got that car currently, uh, but yeah, it, it's definitely been talked about. Um, DJR Team Penske haven't got they haven't got any car of the futures there. Well, they have. They've got two FGXs. Um, they've got one that won the 2018 championship, which is basically still as it came off the track, and that's the way it's going to stay forever. Has, has anyone replaced that rear guard that no, Scotty's last it's still up? there? Same as it yep. was. Um, and also, which was uh, the first Penske, Penske race winning car, car yeah, the one race, which was a Fabian car. Yep. So they've got those two, which that they will never get used again, um, even as a, a Super Two car. So um, at the moment, there's. There's been talk about it, you know, uh, Ryan and, and Dad, we've talked about it because DJR Team Penske won't run a Super 2 program. They've got enough on their plate. There's yep. plenty going on there. They yeah. won't do it. But there's no reason why we couldn't do it as a, a little satellite operation with the assistance of them, with technical and data and all that sort of They've thing. They've got a young mechanic named Seton who probably could steer all right just could quietly. Go right, yeah. Mm. Mm. Imagine that. Mm. Had a Seton as a teammate in 2005. You did. Mm. Who would have ever thought he'd drive for your old man? I know. What do you call him? A personality of a speed hump one yeah, day. Yeah, yeah. I still don't think he actually liked 2005. Well, because he had to hang out with you all the time. Probably, yeah. He didn't have a great year and I don't know. I just got that feeling that he didn't really enjoy it that much. Well, hanging out with you for 15 rounds, it'll be hard enough. I I, I don't pity the poor man. Oh, no, I do pity the poor man is what I mean to say. Um, uh, Jerry McLeod, who's been in the the industry for a long time, son of Bathurst winner Peter. Uh, What was it like to drive with Alan Grice? You did your first Enduros with him in 94 with with Gricey in the second shelf car. It was... Or no, uh, Shell FAI car as it was there. It was, yeah, it was. It was... Gricey was awesome. Well, you know, he's... Did you wear an Akubra that weekend? No, I did not. I refused and... You would have if there was a sponsorship deal going. I, I would have. Yeah, yeah exactly. Have, for sure. Well, I was too young back then to realise what's, you know. Wheeling you could, and dealing. You could wheel and deal and milk money out of whoever. And <laughs> I wasn't a Russell Engel back then. So, <laughs> um, But no, Gricey was great. He was just straight down the line, pulled no punches. Um, it was really cool to, to drive with. Um, the only downside to it is that he put in the sand pit. We had a really good fast car that weekend and we probably could have been in the top five with dad and jb winning it so um but no that was that was great i still see alan quite a lot uh I see his son racing and um it's funny how you you know they still come to the track and they still love it you know like my mum and dad yeah the second generation yeah third generations like continue on uh daniel meads asks any chance of a supercar's return uh, this actually prompts me to a little one uh, i remember and will dale in our v8 sleuth office reminded me of this in the lead up to our chat Remember Scotty Pye having that big crash in the Xbox car up at Bathurst in 15, I think Same, it was, yeah. with Marcus Ambrose sharing with him. And he busted himself up. He was pretty sore for the Gold Coast. But if he, he was probably a little bit touch and go whether he drove or not. So would you have driven had he not driven yep. that weekend? Yeah, I was, I'd had a seat fitting done and uh, we were, yeah, basically just on standby waiting to see how Scotty felt after, uh, after jumping in the car for the first time in practice one and um just to see how he'd go but yeah we were on standby ready to go and um you know we'd uh uh would have happily jumped in and and filled his seat if if you know he was unfit to do it could you 
Uh, we've seen in recent past Chris Bither last quick call up when Richie Stanaway had to pull out at Winton for GRM if you did get a, a phone call I know there's been some guys in the past who've had a phone call to do a fill-in job who've declined it because they just don't feel like they need to do it or want to do it or prepared to do it if you were banging around in the TCM car on a weekend and someone had an emergency and couldn't do it would you say yes to it I, I would you know I um you know yeah sure it's been uh, the last couple of years, I haven't really sort of thought too much about my fitness and all that sort of stuff, which, you know, everyone gets that way, you know, I guess, and I've been a bit lazy, but I've I've sort of getting back into it, not so much just for racing, just for myself, but I, I just, I feel like if I jump behind the wheel, um, I'd take to it like a duck to water again, you know, I still understand it, I've still been driving every year. So I still think that if I if I had the opportunity to do that and to get into a good car, I'd um, yeah absolutely I'd still do a solid job. Uh, one more, uh, Justin Powell asks. Although they didn't make it to the end, well your car did, but the other one didn't. What was the secret to the blitzing straight line speed of the Shell AU Falcons at Bathurst in 1999, which I think was one of the common things that sticks in everyone's head about those cars from that yeah, year? Yeah, it uh, six liter engine. Six liter engine, yeah, you know, Turbo. eight thousand five hundred revs. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, it's they just had their act together, you know. Like, I mean, let's let's just look back at um, that wildcard entry from Triple Eight with Ludo and that Xbox car, twenty thirteen with Maddie and Andy Prior. Yep, um, that thing was just an absolute jet um, down the straight, and you know, it wasn't because. They had 50 more horsepower than anybody. It was because of, A, how they had the car set up, B, just how much time and effort they put into that car with body panels and making sure everything lined up perfectly so it was as slippery as it could be through the air. Um, You know, tucking bumper bars in and all little tricky things that that people wouldn't actually notice that make a difference. That's all they did back then. Yeah, sure, DJR had good horsepower. Dad dad and he's uh, always been an engine man he does love a good engine he is an engine man through and through and um he you know he's still to this day got massive amount of pull in america with his contacts that he's that he has generated over the last 40 years uh he can get stuff made and get stuff done and designed that nobody else can get so that's you know that's the sort of stuff that you can't just get You've got to earn it. And you've got to know the right people. You've got to know the right people. Yeah. So, yeah, so that's, you know, good engines, but those cars were just, everything was perfect in those cars, and they were uh, slippery down the straight. They handled well mechanically. Um, let's face it, the aero back then wasn't, it was, there was aero on those cars, but it wasn't as critical as what it is today. So uh, There's a couple of other questions here, but I've got a really funny feeling that these are loaded and they come from industry sources. So what I'm going to do, I'll ask the question, and you see if you can tell me who it came from. Okay. Uh, Steve, how do you fill up a water tank on a motorhome at Bathurst without emptying yellow water? Who would ask a question like that? (laughs) That, There's a a few guys with that, but that wouldn't be... Well, maybe it's not a guy. mm, Maybe it's not a guy. Maybe it's a wife of a... Was it recently retired? Wouldn't, wouldn't be, star. yeah. Wouldn't have been uh, uh, Mrs. Lau. Maybe. What's, yes. what's going on here? What's this story about you and motorhomes? <laughs> oh, well, can we not tell it? Oh well, we we've had um, 
there's always motorhome wars, you know, like a All oh, right, so these are in, in probably the last, what, six, seven years, the, the idea of um, drivers staying in motorhomes at the track in the paddock, a bit NASCAR, yep. IndyCar style, yeah. it's become a... It's just easier. You're at the track. You can have your own little place to get away. Um, you know, over the years, a lot of people you know hire out houses or yep. have hotel rooms. But a lot of people have moved towards doing that. So I guess there's a bit of competitiveness when it's boring of a night time. Of is there a bit it of does. some trickery being played? Well, I, I got to the stage where you know, if you're a, a caravan owner or a camper, you know that you've got a water tank and you've got a grey water tank which mm-hmm. is your sink and shower water and everything and you've got a black which is obviously yeah you don't want to go near the, mm. the toilet water um, anyway the grey water tank filled up and I'm like oh, what am I going to do with this like seriously and the, the sink's got water in it and it wouldn't drain down and breeze going oh, how are we going to do this and I'm like my hose wasn't long enough to go to the drain so I just opened the tap Right, and it just started to flow out. And I thought, oh, that's all right. We'll just—it's night time. No one will see. <laughs> anyway, so um, not long later, get this. Oi! What's all this grey water flowing down straight through the middle of our campsite? <laughs> and uh, yeah, because obviously we were upstream, so it didn't bother us. But downstream, it wasn't so pleasant. Uh, yeah, so it's uh, it was a bit of a running joke from there on about grey waters and where it was going and who's doing what and how to do this. And I think it's just going to be way safer for everyone to go and book a house and yeah, Bathurst than yeah, yeah. deal with the motorhome hey, wars. But it was good, though. Um, speaking of good, uh, the next question is, who was your favourite teammate? Who would ask you such a thing? Oh, it's either going to be James Courtney or Will Davison. So oh, you're halfway there. Right, so let me think. No, nah, it'd be Will Davison. It's Will sure. Davison, yeah. <laughs> so, favourite teammate? Yeah, Will Davison, of oh, course. There you go. Right. Will okay, Davison. that was easy. That That's was you, easy. Will. Yeah. Oh, Bathurst podium together. That's all good. That's right. Uh, and another one here. Do you look as good in person as you look in pictures? Uh, uh, oh, Hang on, let me uh, see. Do, who that's do from. I, Aaron? Do I? You ask that question of yourself, you moron. <laughs> we don't do self-asking questions here on the V8 Sleuth Damn. podcast. But what we do do is a thing that we've dubbed the V8 Sleuth Top 10 Shootout, which I don't know if you've heard our podcast, but basically it's a fancy form of word association where I'll rattle off some names of people and things and places and you tell me the first word that comes in your head. Um, I will allow two or three word answers to get greater meaning. Right. But I won't allow sentences, 10 words and beyond. Okay. 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 So it usually takes people a, a little while to warm up to this. But okay. it's also some of these things we've talked about, some of these things we haven't, but you get to describe these things. So, okay. Are you Falcon? Ugly. Okay. Uh, probably wouldn't disagree <laughs> with that just quietly. Uh, here's a blast from the past. Tom Kendall. Tom Kendall. Your co-driver from yes, Bathurst yes, 96. Yes, yes, oh, The old limpy yank. Well, yeah, but why was he limpy? He had some. Well, he, 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 he knows about shunting Trans Am cars. He, he he would probably almost um, mimic or give Mick doing a run for his money for broken bones. That fella, mm. which is uh, quite he, cool. That, but legend bloke, loved him. He, he had a great time. The probably the the guy that oh, this is probably more than ten words, but probably the guy that 
actually taught me and showed me that you can actually left foot brake and not use the clutch in those cars because he had to with the way that his leg was busted. He'd had a really bad accident in the US, I think it was Trans Am car, that virtually stopped him from probably getting to the point where he could have been an Indy car or big-time NASCAR driver. But a ripping guy um, based in California, does a lot of uh, TV work these days. He does does a pretty cool um, online video series and the like. He's heavily involved in sports car racing and the like. I was lucky enough to track him down a few years back and do some interview stuff and he spoke so glowingly about coming and doing Bathurst and driving with you guys and he had an absolute ball and he was um, he was a ripper really good really good stuff um, we mentioned him before but what's the word that describes Craig Lowndes <laughs> a unit <laughs> <laughs> he's an absolute unit in a good way or a in bad a good way, way. No, okay. in a good way he is just a weapon um, Warren Luff Former teammate, ah, uh, legend, legend. Yeah, he's. Oh, that's a big one. You don't, you don't get too many blokes that are. There's not too many people who get legendary status. No, there's not. Why does he get legendary it's status? Just, you know, he is the guy that uh, still see Luffy a lot, and anywhere, anytime, if I need anything, any help, mate, I can ring Luffy and he'll be there in a heartbeat. That's the sort of bloke he is. So, just a, a legend bloke. Uh, Fudruckers. Fuddruckers, nice big burgers. <laughs> half the old half pound burger. Yeah. Um, the sponsor of your yes. debut V8 appearance in 1994 not- at Oran Park. Yeah, yeah. Bob Gaydon, who's still a very close friend of the family's, was the fellow that uh, tried to bring that chain out here. And I think it was an amazing concept. But I think the the, the thing that was its downfall was I think it was just maybe five years or ten years too early. It was just, you know, the burgers back then, I guess you talk, talked about normal burgers, whether it be McDonald's or whatever, they're sort of, now they're whatever they are, ten bucks, but back then they were probably $4, $5, whereas the Fuddruckers burgers, to go and make one, you're talking $10 back then. So mm. I think Now the burger thing's become a niche dine out experience type thing it's almost like a subway it was almost yeah. like a subway but a yeah but an actual burger it, place we've got grilled down yeah we've turned it into burger chat here yeah we have yeah i'm hungry good. now i'm really hungry. i'm hungry yeah <laughs> um will davison will davison in one word special <laughs> why he's, he, he, there's not so many legends around, but he's almost another one. He's right? legendarily he special. He is a legend. Okay. No, he's, he's a special legend. Special legend. Okay. Um, lakeside. Fast. True. I could vouch for that. I never Fast. raced there. I I was lucky enough to go for a hot lap with Marcus Ambrose when he came back to supercars with DJR and DJ Penske. It scared the living crap out of me at yeah. how close those walls were and how fast it was. Maybe uh, maybe that could be a good spot to do the launch for the XD TCM car. Hmm. And for EB3 when it's finished. Possibly. We think of all the good stuff. Yes. Uh, TCM. Enjoyable. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bathurst. Uh, second to none. Three words, I'll let it in. It's just inside the boundary line. Mustang Sally. Uh, old, but good. <laughs> That's three words. You just got it in there. Yes. And that is the last of our top ten shootout. We've gone through the couch race of questions. 
we've gone through the Doric sliding door. We've done the top 10 shootout. Uh, we've covered a lot of ground of what has been a career that you should be really proud of. It's not over yet. You've got plenty of stuff to do. Uh, all the very best with Team Johnson. Your young bloke's going uh, pedalling now in a Hyundai Excel. So now you know what your mum and dad went through yeah. when you went racing as well. Great to sit down and cover some ground with you. Appreciate the honesty and the openness. Thoroughly enjoyed the chat. Good to catch up. No, thanks, Nerns. I appreciate it. Well, there you go. Stevie J covered plenty of ground there, unearthing some cool tales from his life behind the wheel so far. A massive thank you to Stephen Johnson for the chat. We caught up during a, a Shannon's Nationals round earlier this year. Not over a Fuddruckers burger, though. And in case you're wondering, yes, they're still a thing, but only in the USA. Keep an eye on our website, v8sleuth.com.au, and our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram pages for our next episode. Subscribe to our podcast, too. Make sure you don't miss an episode, no matter where you're listening, whether it's Apple, or whether it's Google, or whether it's Spotify. You'll know exactly when the next episode's arriving and be among the first to hear it. Until then, though, we'll catch you next time on the V8 Sleuth Podcast, powered by Doric.